0: Thank you so much for joining us, beautiful women, mothers, grandmothers from across the country. We have um, uh, mamas on the East Coast, on the West Coast, in the North, in the South. I come to you. From the Washington DC area, I'm just about 20 minutes from the White House. My name is Julene Jackson. I'm the senior instructor with Moms for America. I've been involved with Moms for America for over a decade, probably 13 or 14 years. We have Z uh, from Moms for America coming to us from Colorado and Tressie from Texas. Thank you ladies for helping make this evening possible. Tonight, well, We come to you from Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home. The greatest acts, the patriotism that you will ever perform will be within the four walls of your home. When there is a mother and a grandmother who understands the principles and liberty of America and liberties of America and understands those faith stories and miracles of America, her children will know and her grandchildren will reverence them as well. When you have a grandmother and a mother who reverence, you know, our founding fathers and founding mothers and, and understands the constitution, so will your posterity. So we are on lesson number 12 tonight, raising the next generation of patriots. We uh, really should be on 11, but I'm going to explain why we're doing a little switcheroo this evening. Let's see our first slide, if we could, Tracy. But tonight we'll be talking about how to raise this next generation of patriots. Uh, there's a wonderful quote by Thomas Paine. Let's see that next uh, slide, Tracy. Thomas Paine was a wonderful patriot, a revolutionarist uh, who wrote that pamphlet, Common Sense. And in that pamphlet in 1776, he wrote those stirring words that were read around the campfire, George Washington's soldiers. uh, And he says here, these are the times, and it reminds me of our times. These are the times that try men's souls, the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserve the love and thanks of man and women tyranny like hell is not easily conquered yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict the more glorious the triumph what we obtain too cheap we esteem too light let's see that next slide boy that reminds me the battle that we are in right now. So we know, maybe you don't know, but in Washington, D.C., I know it was a national holiday this um, last Monday was Juneteenth. And so my husband and I went to a Juneteenth luncheon. Uh, A man by the name of Bob Woodson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, he's 86 years old, spoke at this luncheon. My husband sits on his board, the Woodson Center. He's really uh, quite a hero, he's written many books. He had just come at 86 from an hour long interview uh, 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 through CBS. And he spoke for a time and he said, we have to counter the rhetoric of race hustlers, is what he called it. These wealthy people who are getting uh, uh, wealthy off of the grievance grievance industry. Uh, We need to counter their rhetoric with results. He, his organization is fascinating to me because it it, it is about results. He actually goes into black communities and he finds uh, the black families with a a mother and a father and he matches them with the Pharaoh. He talks about this in his book, a Pharaoh is someone with resources. So if there's only uh, 25% of black families that have a, a husband and wife If there's 75 that don't, that means there's 25 that do. So he finds those intact families and he calls them the Josephs and he matches them with people of resources. And then, it teaches them, these families, how to be agents of uplift in their communities. And he has got remarkable results. Uh, we sat next to him at his table and he said he had a five-minute conversation on Saturday with a, a donor and he got a donation of $5 million. And he did not even know this person, but he was able to show all the results of revitalizing the Black community. And he said, we need to counter- the rhetoric that is coming from the enemies of freedom with results. And this is what Moms for America does. I love almost every day, let's see the next slide. I will talk to a mama who has made some change in her life because of the things that she's learning as she gathers in these study groups and these cottage meetings all around the country with Moms for America. I met this cute little mama in the white jacket at that luncheon. She belongs to a cottage meeting in Virginia, um, Tyler Otta is uh, uh, the state liaison for Virginia. And she has a cottage meeting and these women call themselves the Mavens. And this uh, uh, mother, she's a mother of four. She's a former educator said, I've had enough. I understand the education system. And so she is running for the school board in Fairfax County. Uh, Virginia because of of her involvement in um, uh, the Cottage Meeting, the Mavens in uh, Virginia. So this uh, woman right here that you see is the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. She spoke as well. Her name is Winsome Sears. She has um, received an award through Moms for America. She's a former Marine. I really liked what she had to say. She said, hey, my former ancestors who were slaves didn't, did not die in the field so that we could say today, we are victims. We have come a mighty long way, and God will take his hands off of us if we don't acknowledge our blessings and offer the opportunities that we have. We are victors. We are not victims. So I really liked what they had to say, but they reminded us that, look, the battle is real. We are in a battle, but the results are going to be God's. Let's see that next slide if we could, Tressie. We have got the best player on our team and we, so we don't need to get despondent and hopeless or give up. We have God on our side. So this, I hope everyone had a wonderful Father's Day. These are the men in my life. I think, did I pass by a picture of my family? You would understand why these are the men in my life because that is my husband. I think there was a a picture of my family, I forgot to. Do you see that, Trustee, um, after the heading of our first slide? Maybe we can go to that real quick if you don't see it we'll just stay on this slide uh let's see it would have been the very first slide if you do you see the picture of my family right next to the heading of our uh do you see that if not let's go back to all those wonderful handsome black men one of those is my husband he's the one yes okay so this is my family uh we're a colorful family my husband and i've been married for um 30 years. Everything that I teach through Moms for America, I have tried out on my children. They have been my guinea pigs. I have known what's been effective and maybe even the things that I've taught my children through the years that weren't effective were helpful. Because, you know, we're all, we're, we're all like in training here and God magnifies even our failures. And so uh, I, my children, we have five children. The oldest is 28. She's married to the other uh, white, white dude in the picture. Then we have a 25-year-old, a 23-year-old, a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old. Okay, trustee, we can uh, go back to that picture with the, all the men there someone called it the hunting picture. It was the Father's Day picture is what it was on Sunday. But you know, when all the uh, grandpa, our 80 year old grandpa is in the middle there and there are his son-in-laws. And when the men get together, they like to get their guns out and shoot. We have a family ancestral property about an hour and a half outside of DC. So we all gathered there and these are mostly all the children from all the fathers that were there. We're missing about four of the kids. Three of them are my adult kids that weren't able to be there. But these are good, godly men and they understand that the battle is real. And they're doing everything they can to instill the values, godly values in these children. I've heard my husband say, look, we don't have to look at some imaginary scoreboard uh, that the news or pundits or educators or a- educators are saying this is just you know the, the new normal. We have got the best player uh, on our team. So we, if, if he's on the bench right now in our life, we gotta get him off the bench. I'll hear my husband say, and get the best player God in the game, get him in your hearts, children, get him in your lives, in your homes, in your schools, in your communities. And we do this, I hear my husband say, by talking about him more, ev- evoking his name. It, I, I heard him say, put on your social media feeds that you're a believer or you're a Christian so people know what you're about. I have told my children for the last little while, and most of my children are out of my home uh, and they're adult children, but I try and send them a, a gospel Christian song every day because I want them to begin to listen more to Christian music than music of the day that is just full of, I, I think, a lot of evil messages oftentimes. Someone once told me if you will start the day with 30 minutes of um, religious, gospel, uplifting Christian music, it will set the tone. For your, uh, for your day. And we just need to uh, evoke the name of God more in our conversations. And so this is what some of the things that these daddies are trying to do with their children. Let's see the next slide if we can. When Thomas Paine said that that which we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly, it makes me think of this rising generation who has really known uh, nothing but abundance. And many of the, the rising posterities don't value or love America because they haven't necessarily had to fight for freedom. And maybe they didn't have parents or grandparents instilling in them the principles that have made this land free and home of the brave that they didn't have mothers and fathers telling them the faith stories of those that gave their all for what we have today. So, we are probably feeling, I know we are. I don't think you'd be on the call tonight if you weren't feeling some of the arrows, uh, fiery darts, I like to say, from the world. You know, this radical woke agenda that that our children are hearing in the school systems or on their social media feeds or the race baiting or the gender ideology that, you know, is being construed as normal or certainly the anti American curriculums that they're hearing in schools and the universities. So uh, here at Moms for Americas, mothers are gathering their study groups and are learning God's putting on their hearts to make some changes, changes in the home, changes in the community. This is a group of uh, mothers on the, on the right side uh, in Trenton, New Jersey. They, it's a cottage meeting in Trent in, in the Jersey area. And uh, a few weeks ago, I went up and was with them, spoke at a rally that they helped organize at the state house. And this is another group of uh, from a cottage meeting um, from out of state, came to Washington DC a few years ago, standing for life and freedom and family. There's my husband, he knew these uh, two great lady patriot mamas. So mothers and grandmothers around the country, we are, we're waking up, we're learning, we're activating and we're learning how we can stay anchored in hope because if mama's not anchored in hope everyone's going to be running to and fro depressed and discouraged but when mother is anchored when grandmother is anchored she has a stabilizing effect in the homes and mothers do that as they learn these truths Uh, uh, and and we'll talk about what we should what we should learn to be able to anchor those around us Um, let's see the next slide what mothers are doing also is they're um, coming together and actually, I think we've got our slide deck is a little different than what we went through, Trussie. Um Well, uh, let's, let's see the next slide. Uh, so mamas are joining together in homes and uh, gathering together to learn these principles of liberty and freedom and the constitution and our founding of America. Let's see the next slide. And young mothers are meeting in parks. Let's see the next slide. Uh, and they're meeting online. And since COVID, we started meeting online. Uh, The the curriculum that we've been going through on this Thursday class are these 12 lessons out of our cottage meeting resource guide. And let's see the next slide. We have systematically worked our way through, oh, okay, we don't have that slide. Um, Of the 12 lessons, one was entitled Anchored in Hope, one was There's No Place Like Home, one was, Ladies first, meaning so goes the the what, so goes the women, so goes the nation. And then we talked about uh, for the the fourth, fifth, and sixth week, the pillar of liberty, teaching uh, children and grandchildren the foundation of faith upon which this nation was established and um, also The Fowler of Virtue, and um, there we go. And The Power of Patriotism, lesson number seven, we we just laid out all kinds of stories. There's nothing like a story that touches the heart of the child and inspires them. Lesson number eight, do you remember that? We learned how we can teach uh, the love of liberty and freedom in this country through the arts through poetry, literature, music. And then number nine, you talked about the traditions that we establish in the home and how that will bear a beautiful fruit of uh, you know, home management programs and eating dinner together. Last week, we talked about teaching your children to love and understand the important parts of the Constitution. And then this week, we're talking about raising a new generation of patriots. And then next week, we're going to have our Um, state liaison from Virginia, Tyler Otta, teaches us this beautiful lesson number 11, the law of harvest, teaching your children to be self-reliant. We have a generation of young people that have such a sense of entitlement, and we're going to talk about how you teach your children to love to work and not want to be dependent upon the government. So These were at the tail end of this 12 Cottage Meeting Series. If you've missed any, we recorded them. You can watch them online. Mothers that have gone through this 12-week program have found it to be transformative. They begin to do things differently. They begin to understand, wait a minute, I'm the best teacher my children will ever have. I am the most qualified to teach them the things that they need to know to armor them up as they go out in the world and try to be a part of the solution and not the problem. Now, I know it can feel overwhelming at times and you can just feel exhausted with everything that is on your plate as a mother and a grandmother, but God has told us if we will get on that wall and say, here am I, send me and turn, seek his face and humble ourselves and repent and get our life in order if we need to. His promises, he'll heal. hear our prayers and he will heal this land. We don't have to be perfect, Mama. We don't have to be legal scholars or historians. You just have to have a heart for this nation and for the principles upon which made this country great. And we have, need to have a desire to want to perpetuate these ideals. And as we do that, God will accept our offerings and he'll magnify what we're trying to do in the home with our children and our grandchildren. He just wants us to do something, to get on that wall and say, Lord, here am I, send me and I promise you, opportunities will begin to arise for you to know how to teach more brilliantly and precisely some of these things to your children. Okay, let's see that next slide that Thomas Jefferson quote. Thomas Jefferson said the boys and the girls of the rising generation are to be the men and the women of the next and the sole guardians of the principles we deliver over to them. Let's see that next slide. Truly, we will be the best teachers that our children will ever have. I don't have to look any further than my own little mama. Here she is. She was about 50 years old, I think in this picture. She had nine children. My parents would divorce after 26 years. So this is Four of my older siblings are out of the home at this point. I think I was 16 in this picture as the oldest girl in the back there, my brother 18. Then she had two little twins at 40. My mama was a humble, ordinary woman, but she was a woman of God. And she taught us every day in a little devotional where she would read scripture to us and then she would bear witness of that scripture and we would sing a little gospel and then we would kneel down. And we would pray. And as we got to be older and teenagers, we'd get busy and we were doing other things and we wouldn't come into the front room for devotional. And I would hear her at times going through that little uh, routine all by herself in the front room. What an impact that left on me. Even when I chose to stay in the bathroom and get ready for my date or going out, she would carry on and read scripture and pray uh, just by herself even sometimes. So let's see the next slide. So it was a natural thing for me to want to do the same thing when I began to have children, to have a little devotional. They're my my two oldest babies or my two youngest babies at the time. While they'd sit at their little table in the kitchen, I'd tell them a story of Jesus. There's our little work program on the wall. And then uh, I put four little Bible stories up for each day. And then on the fifth day, I'd have them tell me the stories as best they could, because they'd be looking at those pictures the whole week. It was a natural thing for me to kind of follow in the footstep of what I saw my mother do. Now, I always say, look, mothers, if you didn't have a mother that taught you this way, st- you can start You can change the whole course of a generation and generations to come by what you choose to do right today, whether you saw it in your home or you're starting a new tradition. Let's see the next slide. So this is how uh, we taught our children. We, you know, read the Bible. We Memorize a little poem. Here's, you know, five six years later we'd pray, and then one day uh, we not one day but uh, oh, after um, about fifteen years in the Washington D.C. area we moved to Oregon. Let's see the next slide. And one of the mothers in this small town in Hood River, Oregon, um, was watching a program by Glenn Beck. I didn't even know who Glenn Beck was, and he held up this book, The Five Thousand Year Leap, and he said, "Mothers." you need to start to teach your children these principles, these 28 principles that our founding fathers used to establish this land. And, um, And so we, mamas, we were worried about what our children were being taught. And that was like 15 years ago in the school systems. And so we would meet once a month and we began to learn and go through these 28 principles. And inevitably every one of us came home and started to teach our children the stories and principles. And let's see that next slide. So, I began to weave into the family devotional that we've had for some years now a story of America or a principle from the Constitution in our family devotional. Let's see that next slide. And so, you know, if I could just tell you some of the fruits that have been born by teaching your children not only to love God, but to love America, to love the founding fathers and founding mothers. Uh, one of our oldest boys, who is 25, he's been in, in the NBA for six years, and oftentimes when the national anthem is played, he's the only kid, there he is, with his hand over his heart, he was a New Orleans Pelican at that point, and he learned to reverence the flag and to respect the anthem and the flag in the home, in that family devotional, my oldest girl served a church service mission for eighteen months on the Amazon River in Iquitos, Peru, and uh, she will say, you know, she she saw the service, of those stories of our founding fathers giving back, and she just felt like she needed to give back, and and she spent her uh, eighteen months teaching people about god and how god can change your life when you get him in your home when you worship him when you talk to him when you study his word and now from what she uh learned on that church service mission that has set her off in a career she travels around the world overseas marketing for one of the largest genealogical uh international companies in in the world 56 countries markets that Helping people understand their stories, their oral stories, their genealogy, where they came from. When people understand where they come from, it helps to root them moving forward. They can be, they are linked to their past and they can be a link to their generations moving forward. These, I I could, I could go down the... Line, every single one of the kids who I have seen the impact of teaching them to love God and to love freedom and to love America, how that impacted the 23 year old, the 20 year old, and even the the last baby in the home. I'll talk about her in a moment. Okay, let's see the next slide. Moms for America is, has an amazing amount of resources and um, books and um additional classes if you're interested in homeschooling or, uh, you know, knowing how to stand and speak before school boards and all kind of uh, uh, resources that mothers can go to to help to know how you can learn these things and then how you can go and teach your children and then how you can go and be a change agent out in your community in school systems so however you educate your children, whether it's a public school or private school or a home school, I hope tonight, by the time we are finished with this uh, presentation, that your confidence in being able to educate and inspire the next generation to love America and to defend the principles of, of liberty will be heightened in you. Now, let's see the next slide. We are under obligation, to be honest with you, to do this. God has told us in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, reminds us to teach God's law to our children, to give ear to my law. Utter these sayings of old, he says. Don't hide or neglect teaching these things. Make known these laws of Israel to them. All right. He wants us to be teaching the word of God in the beginning was the word and the word was God. He wants us to be teaching these stories because these biblical stories teach our children how God works in a person's life. In Proverbs 22, six, he reminds us as we train up a child in the way that he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you believe that? I do. Let's see the next uh, slide. Part of educating and teaching our children to love God and to love freedom, because I always say you have to teach them the gospel of freedom in order to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you can't have religious liberties if you're not living in an environment of maximum freedom. God cares about the kind of government his children are raised in because that determines the way they can exercise their religious religious liberties. And worship him so part of teaching your children is you know take them to government centers talk about the men and women that are serving there's some of my kids when they're little oh, we just i don't know we have actually gone to the white house a, a lot in inside and outside living here for 30 years uh, this is, I think, uh, Monticello, the home of the founding father. My, my, my kids have gone there often. They they know. Uh, I think there's even a bust of George Washington. I have multiple busts in my home of our founding fathers. They have a great reverence and revere these men and the lives they live. Let's see the next slide. Take your kids to any community things that you're involved in. My kids have just grown up going to Moms for America events or going to patriotic. Uh, activities where they can feel the spirit of the words and the music and what it means to be a citizen of this United States. All that is a part of educating and teaching your children. Let's see the next slide. So I came across this picture of my family the other day. This is when all nine of us were there. I think one of my brothers is gone. When you have nine siblings, someone is always, I think one was off in the Navy. But um, my older brothers and sisters all these little babies are grandchildren. My parents are, are right in the middle there. My mother looks so tired. I was about 12. I'm in the back there in that little high collared blue um, shirt. I was just a little chub. Look, I think I was about 12. But in just a few years, my father is going to leave the home and our parent, my parents were going to divorce now. We were just a humble little family. We look almost like little billies in that picture. I just have to chuckle when I look at it. My parents were not perfect. Well, actually I think my mother was perfect but they didn't have a perfect marriage but they did some of the most important things right. In this family, large family of mine, we prayed together. They taught us out of the Bible. We went to church together. I remember my parents reading the newspaper and talking about current events. They always voted. I remember every four years they would watch that nationally televised political conventions and they would talk about the candidates that they were running. My mama would take me to town hall meetings. I remember my parents giving blood to the Red Cross. They served and volunteered in the community and in the schools and in the church community. So even in this struggling marriage, they understood that they had a God-given responsibility to lead and guide these children and to teach these children spiritual things and, and to educate them. And they were civic-minded. Their example said so much. They served and they were generous with what little excess that they had. They tried to give back. Let's see the next slide. In The 5,000 Year Leap, this book that kind of started me off uh, in my first cottage meeting, gathering together with women to learn principles of liberty. In uh, Principle 26, this is one of my favorite principles. It talks about The core unit that determines the strength of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect its integrity. Remember, these are 28 principles that our founding fathers believed in and used to establish this country. And they knew that when you had strong families, you would have strong societies. And strong societies would equal a strong nation. There's uh, beautiful writings on this um, Uh, principle 26, about the importance of marriage as well. I would recommend, actually my husband and I are going to teach this 5,000 yearly class, a 12 week class this fall. And it's kind of fun to see a husband and wife uh, (laughs) teaching uh, principles of liberty and, and teaching how to teach these things to your children, to your grandchildren, to your adult children. So let's stay tuned, I would recommend taking this class. That will start, I think at the end of September. So let's see the next uh, slide. John Locke was one of the uh, greatest philosophers and enlightenment thinkers uh, born in uh, 1632 in England. And he was widely studied and quoted by our founding fathers. John Locke himself understood the importance of parents, the nourishment and education of their children is a charge so incumbent on parents for their children's good that nothing can absolve them from taking care of it. Let's see that next slide. So on Father's Day, I'm hoping this is the next slide. Yes, on Father's Day on Sunday, uh, down in the country, because we were down at the, uh, the family country house, the ancestral home, and it's just a humble little home. It's nothing fancy at all, but it's on uh, 50 acres of God get land. And believe me for a black man, uh, great grandpa had this land at uh, during, you know, the early 1900s, for him to have this land was quite remarkable. And so we will keep that land and we will continue to build. And it's a source of pride in, uh, in our family and in our children as well. So we went to this Mount Zion Baptist Church on Father's Day. And that is where great-grandfather and uh, where great-grandfather attended church. And grandma and grandpa uh, took us. And, and they have been faithful um, Baptists their whole life. And they pray and they study the word. And then uh, we all went back to um, the house and I found grandpa in the garage teaching. Uh, there's my basketball boy, Frankie, who's 25, and another little younger grandson, how uh, to, to um, fix the, the mower. And uh, he's taught the boys how to do the tractor and take care of the land. And this is all a part of you know, their understanding that they still have a role in their 80s to teach this up and coming rising generation. Our founding fathers knew that the state should not interfere with the legitimate family relations and that the authority of parents and grandchildren and grandparents over their children is based on natural law that is found in holy writ. Let's see that next slide. Principle 23 in the 5,000 year leap gives us suggestions uh, of how um, we can maintain Uh, this government of free people. We needed to to be virtuous and morally strong. We needed to be able um, to adhere to godly law and we needed to be educated. And so principle 23 says a free society cannot survive as a republic without a broad program of general education. Now, our founders didn't mean that we should, you know, uh, pay for college or, or bail out student loans, but they wanted a broad program, a general reading, writing, arithmetic, and Bible study. And they talk about this in the Northwest Ordinance. It, almost from the time they arrived in the new world here, uh, uh, there was a movement for universal education in New England that started in 1647. When the legislature of Massachusetts required every community of 50 families set up a free public grammar school to teach the fundamentals of reading, writing, arithmetic, history, geography, and Bible study. John Adams, who had spent many years in France, he was a diplomat, he commented on the fact that out of the 24 million inhabitants in France, only one Uh, only half a million of them could read or write. Now our founding fathers knew that the only way this this experiment on liberty, this new uh, land of America could be preserved was if the people had a general knowledge among them that they were well-informed citizens through diligent self-study. And so um, it's, said that most children first learned how to read from their mothers reading the bible reading out of the bible and um uh, alex de tocqueville said that too that when he came he was amazed at how well educated and how literate the people were in america but our founding fathers knew that that's the only way we could maintain uh, a government based on the voice of the people uh, unless they were well-informed and, and were able to read and write and were reading, you know, out of the same books, coming to the same conclusions. And, and we see this with our founding fathers, uh, those that were part of the um, Constitutional Convention and, and uh, so forth, that many of them had limited formal education, but they all were reading out of the same books, the Bible there, and they were studying these ancient thinkers of Cicero. And um, oh, let's see, Cicero. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole gaggle of them that we talk about in the 5,000 year leap, Uh, John Locke. And uh, my mind is just um, drawing a blank. But um, the success they understood of this broad educational effort in our early history was due largely to a careful selection. Uh, Now get this, um, a highly conscientious parents in the communities who served on local school committees to supervise their public schools. And it was those parental committees working under the little town council, the city council, that they picked out the schoolmasters and the principals and the teachers and the curriculum. For really, for about the first hundred years, uh, this is how you know the principals and the teachers and the curriculum were selected by parents that sat on advisory boards. If we were to do that today, you better believe God would be put back into the school systems. Now we look to, you know, the department education department 3000 miles away to tell us how we should teach our children and what kind of curriculums and, and that kind of thing that we should have. And so um, they understood. Let's see that next slide. That strong local self-government was the keystone to preserving. Let's see the next slide. Preserving human freedom. They wanted the towns to be able to select. Is there not um, principle 21? Let's go back. Was that was that principle? 21? anyone. Anyway, here we go. Strong local, thank you, Tracy. You're doing great. Strong local self-government is the keystone they knew to preserving human freedom. They wanted the, the town at a local level to address the way we care for the poor and the needy or to educate the children. They wanted the standards of decency and morality and safety determined at the local level, kind of like Moses, remember in the in the Bible he established the first form of republic and he wanted most of the problems handled. At the local level, he made captains of uh, 10s of uh, of family, captains of 50 families, captains of 100, captains of 1,000. But most of the problems to be handled at the local level where people were closest to the problems and best knew how to resolve them at the local level. And so they wanted the parents to be able to determine what's the best way to educate the children. Boy. We have strayed from that principle, far from that principle. Imagine standing up at a school board today and teaching them, you know, some of these principles and and teaching them what our founders wanted, taught (laughs) in the school systems. Let's see that next slide. In a book that I refer to often in this series called The Promise of the Constitution, uh, where you just get like a page, page and a half vignettes that that, um, break down uh, concepts throughout history and, and founding and Fathers. It talks about, you know, the influence of uh, religion and God in, uh, in our societies and in our school systems. And it, it talks about uh, this whole notion that we must separate the church and state. It tells us, remember, we've talked about this before already that Thomas Jefferson was the President of the United States at this time when a citizen from Connecticut wrote him a letter Wanting him to get involved uh, about an argument they were having in Connecticut about the, ch- the church, the state church. And Jefferson wrote and he said, Look, there should be a separation of church and state, meaning the federal government shouldn't come in and make a national church. They had broken away from England because they had seen, you know, how the government, when the government took over religion, how people were persecuted if they didn't uh, subscribe to that state sanctioned church and, and having, you know, governments so inclined to, um, um, perpetuate a a one faith or one denomination, it actually led to uh, abuse and spiritual degeneracy amongst European countries. And so this is why, you know, he said, no, there should be a separation of church and state, meaning the federal government should be separate. The states." And the, uh, the people at the local level should determine how they want to uh, put forth religious practices or establish uh, religions in their state. Well, the statement, uh, this letter that Jefferson wrote back, uh, his statement was distorted 150 years later by the courts, the Supreme Courts. And they took this to mean that there should be no establishment of religion of any sort according to the First Amendment and to this Jefferson statement. And hence we began to see in the 1940s and 50s and 60s religious instruction and prayer and Bible reading being removed from uh, the school systems. And this position by the modern courts was exactly the opposite of what our founding fathers intended and what our governing documents state uh, you know, of course, they didn't want one state religion, but they wanted um, uh, religion and morality to be exercised freely. Uh, uh, you know, throughout the different the different states. In fact, uh, in the Northwest Ordinance, let's see that next slide that was written the same year that the Constitution was written in 1787. Our founder said, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools, and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. There it is. Religious and moral values were to be an integral part of the school curriculums. And it was for the first hundred years of our history. And my, how we prospered the first hundred years uh, under the Constitution in America. Let's see the next slide. I've heard my husband through the years because he teaches right alongside me and our family devotionals tell the children, look, you're not as smart when you don't have a spirit of God with you. You don't make as good as decisions. You listen to uninspired sources for answers. You don't learn as well. You don't remember things as well when you're not asking God to help you. And we will see when they began to take, uh, you know, school prayer and Bible reading, and even you can't even pledge allegiance in some of the schools that my kids at- attended because I mentioned God. When they began to take God out of the schools in the 1950s and 60s, we not only saw a moral uh, a decline, but national t- test scores uh, began to decline as well. Just yesterday, let's maybe go to the full screen for a moment. In the Washington Post, I'm old school, I still, uh, you know, read the newspaper. It says national test scores, this was just yesterday in the Washington Post, national test scores plunge, still offer no sign of post-pandemic recovery. Math results show a single largest drop in 50 years, and I believe That when kids are no longer calling upon God or understanding He's the source that you go to when you need a little extra help on your test, that that we're not our as as a whole our nation has declined. So in the supplemental material, uh, in lesson number twelve. There is a presentation by the president of Mons for America, an article that she wrote in lesson number 12. It's called, the article is called Mother's Garden. So under each lesson, there's a a supplemental little stories uh, that go along with our lesson that I oftentimes would read my children. I would take this book in the mornings and put it on my lap with my pajamas on and I would read some of the stories that are inspirational out uh, of this book to my kids. So let's see that next slide. In uh, her article entitled, A Mother's Garden, um, she recalls getting a little gift from her children. It was a picture of a flower pot with each of her, let's see the next slide, with each of her little children's faces filling the center of each flower in the pot. There you go. And she was looking at that picture, you know, years later, 20 years later, and she was amazed at how fast her little children had grown and, and how she had grown as well. In this gardening uh, process, the most valuable lessons she had learned through the years was how important she had been in helping her children weed out the bad stuff that they had learned or taught or had experienced. You know, anyone that has had an experience with gardening knows how hard it is to control weeds, and if we're not consistently pulling weeds, they will... (laughs) run over the garden. Let's see the next slide. A few years ago during COVID, three years ago, I had my first experience with this kind of uh, thing. Um, We were living in Washington, D.C., and it was not a good place to live in the cities during COVID. And so uh, with all the uncertainty and lockdowns of the city, we would head out of town and and drive uh, about an hour and a half down the road to Virginia to our little family ancestral home. Now it sits on about 50 acres. we decided to plant a big garden. This was three years ago, and you know, Papa pulled out the tractor, and a whole family got involved there and plowing and planting. and And for some reason, I did the majority of the weeding. Let's see the next slide. And when we come up to DC for a few days and I come back down, especially after a hard country rain, it took, I was in that garden probably an hour to two hours every other day, pulling weeds, combating these stubborn weeds that were, you know, would have easily choked out my, my beloved little plants there and my vegetables if I wasn't diligent in weeding the garden. So in this article, uh, in our supplemental material, Kimberly compares the same skills and principles of weeding to tending and caring for our Liberty Garden in the lives of our children and in our home. When she assessed the influences in her children's lives, she realized that some of the greatest threat to her little garden were the schools that her children were attending. I think we all can't help but wonder as we send our children or grandchildren off to school, how many things they're learning there that go directly against what we uh, believe and know and value. Well, what can we do about this? Let's see the next slide. Um, It talks about the supplemental material. You can either change the way, be a part of changing the way your children are being educated And and that means getting involved in the school systems, running for the PTA or asking if you can sit on committees that determine curriculums or textbooks or or volunteering, being the homeroom mother, running for school boards or testifying before school boards. Uh, Another thing you can do uh, is just replace, pull your kids out uh, out of their current school systems, send them to a private school or a charter school or to a homeschool. And to be honest with you, most parents aren't in the position to be able to do that, but more people are, since COVID, reconsidering, you know, replacing their current way their children or grandchildren are being taught. Still, other parents have have gone the counteracting route. That means they're trying to provide strong, positive influences that will counteract the destructive ones that their children might be experiencing as they leave the home and and go off to, you know, the schools or the universities or, you know, their peers or so forth. To be honest with you, I have tried every single one of those things. I have been in the PTA. I have been the homeroom mother. I have pulled my kids out of school systems and I have homeschooled. I've done private schools. But I believe the greatest impact that I have had on my children and the way I educate, help to educate them, is this counteract. To counteract within the four walls of our home the incorrect teaching or influences that they're getting outside of our home through the schools or the peers or social media. So regardless of how you decide to formally educate your children, I believe counteract is the most successful and effective tool in weeding your gardens. Parents that are engaged in their children's lives daily can create these positive influences Um, in in, with their children. So let's see the next slide. And our, my, our daily weeding in our family was best done by this family devotional that you've seen me um, talk about in our home for over 25 years. Most of my kids will just say, I don't ever remember a time when we didn't gather and study scripture and talk about, you know, freedom and read a story about early American history or that kind of thing and sing a song and pray. This was, I believe, the best and most effective tool in our home to keep our garden relatively weed-free because we, in our devotionals, would take the time to clarify and explain things before these false ideas, their rooting, got too deep. Just uh, yesterday, my little daughter, who's 15, a sophomore in high school, her little friend was in the home, and they were talking about the little friend, how someone at church got up at the pulpit and started talking about how we just need to love everyone and transgenderism and and her little parents, Uh, the whole family was in that church congregation and they came home and they talked about that and how, you know, they kind of took issue at some of the things that were uh, preached at the pulpit. And can you see how the parents right there was counteracting some false ideas and, and before you know, some of these teachings take root, if you're in the habit of, of daily, having a, a, a 10, 15 minute devotional with the children, and you can ask them questions you know, uh, as you read a Bible story and you liken it to what they're experiencing at school, you'll be amazed what they'll tell you. And you can counteract some of the negative things that they might be experiencing as when they're away from your home. Let's see the next slide. I would highly recommend a family devotional Uh, type setting. Look, we we just have one child left at home now. She's 15 years old. This was, I think, uh, towards the end of the school year. Uh, The devotional looks a little different now. She just sits at the um, kitchen counter. There's the Bible there while she's eating her breakfast. Uh, I even put the morning routine on the fridge because there's so many little things we just tick through, but we can go through our little morning devotional in about Twelve minutes. Seriously, we pray. We say a prayer. A prayer. We pledge. We go through a little come follow me curriculum our church has. It's in the New Testament. We review a five thousand year leap. We, for years, I review the headlines in the newspaper because I want them to hear from me first, my take on what is going on in the world, not the school teacher explaining something. And then I oftentimes I'll read a little fictional uh, book about uh, history. we uh, read a great little book about the Revolutionary War um, this year to her. And then let's, we review the calendar and we sing and pray. I do that every morning with that one little child left at home. Let's see the next picture, next slide. And so here sometimes she likes to review the headlines and and oftentimes we'll just read a story out of the story Bible and you've heard me talk about uh, um, this wonderful resource here. Let's see the next slide. You see the flag there in the kitchen. The next slide um, for years I would t- take just like one article from the Constitution and we talk about that the whole week here she reads one principle and then I talk about look does what's going on in the world today does that jive with the principle we just studied from our founding fathers and so it helps them to discern truth from error as they read about how things are being spun in, in the world today let's see the next um slide Trustee. and i finished with there and then we go through a little calendar uh, and we we plan fun things and things to look forward to this is our summer calendar it's it's a it's a big calendar it includes three months so i put it on the side of the fridge but normally it's on, just on the front of the fridge we go through our calendar and then we um, sing a little gospel, and then we pray and we get the child out to school. Let's see the next slide. All it takes is mother being consistent, gathering your child in one way or the other to do this, to learn these principles of liberty and freedom. As you, If you will put in the time have some sort. it can be in the evening it can be over the dinner hour we just always did it in the morning with our children but what will happen is your children will, will look to you as a trusted source of truth and they will value you as their greatest teacher my 25 year old was he's on break from basketball right now so he was here this last week and I heard him saying he was the one that pretty much slept through the morning devotionals when he was a teenager, but he said, Mom, I am so blessed because I came from the family that I did that you taught us to love God and to love this country and so they will get it at 25 he gets it as he's been out in the world now for six years. That, you know, something that he was rolling his eyes at for so many years when he was a teenager is the very thing that he acknowledges is is such a blessing to him in his life now. This ritual of teaching within the four walls of your, your home and some sort of devotion setting will bless your generations uh, of children to, for four generations. Okay. So I think I'm going to skip through. There's this wonderful story about a church leader that um, visits um, a congregation during the Cold War, um, the Iron Curtain behind the Soviet Union. And he was worried about the young people because the young people were being taught false ideologies and, and, and God was taken out uh, of their communities and schools. And he was amazed that That when the Iron Curtain was actually uh, raised, that there were thousands of families of faith. And the parents responded that, you know, when their children came home every night, they mended, this is how the parents put it, they mended the damaged reservoir each night. We would teach our children positive righteousness so that the false philosophies that they were being taught in their schools did not take hold. Our children were growing up in faith and truth in spite of the overwhelming pressures from the outside. We know that one of the first things the communists did when they raised that iron curtain was to purge uh, the country of religion and they closed the churches and outlawed worship uh, because they wanted to destroy the faith of people Because if you can diminish the influence of God and family and mother specifically, then you can control the children. Let's see the next slide. And, uh, you know, the leaders, uh, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler understood that so well. Education, Stalin said, is a weapon whose effect depends on who holds it in his hand and at whom it is aimed I certainly feel, and we taught this in some of the classes, uh, Healing of America classes um, that we teach on Wednesday, that enemies of freedom are using the school systems education as a weapon against um, this country now by by controlling and grabbing the hearts and minds of this rising generation. Um, Let's see the next uh, slide. Joseph Stalin went to great lengths to limit the influence that parents had on their children, as did Hitler. He used the same tactics when he formed his Hitler youth programs and instituted church or, um, excuse me, youth sports programs on Sunday so the kids couldn't go to church and be influenced there. Hitler said, He alone who owns the youth gains the future. And doesn't that feel eerily familiar with what's going on in education now? The strategy of Hitler and Stalin was simple, to take away the parents and the churches and individual thought, and then you can control the people. Let's see that next slide. And so um, uh, Hitler said, it is always more difficult to fight against faith than against knowledge. Now, I don't think Adolf Hitler actually said this, but isn't this the truth? Make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. So what does our strategy need to be? Well, our strategy needs to be, we teach the truth, mothers, grandmothers. We teach with love. We reinforce it with stories to our children and our children will embrace it. I know this is true. I've seen this firsthand in my own home. Out of um, our five children, four of them have flown the coop. One's married, they're professionals in the working uh, field. And I have felt the spirit Uh, let's see that next slide, it just put upon me that they still, uh, as adult children, need a reminder of truth and testimony from their mamas, so about four, actually probably five times a week, I send out a text devotional with a little quote and then a scripture, and then I just talk about, I just bear them my little personal witness and tell them some of the things that mom and dad and each other are doing around the country, and it really is, kind of helps keep us close even though most of the kids are out of the home now. Let's see the next slide. So here's just some some examples of my little text devotional that I put out uh, each day. Uh, Here was Memorial Day. It it was um, a quote by I only regret, oh, by Nathan Hill, that I have but one life to lose for my country, and then I put a little scripture there, and I talk about, you know, Memorial Day, and I put a little few little pictures of what we're doing. My husband, his volunteer service is is to oversee seven congregations in our church in Maryland and D.C. of young people just 18 through 30 so we always have young people in our home so I just take pictures of whatever any of us are doing that day and so it's a way to keep the kids close but also to bear witness of things that are going on let's see the next slide I think this was just a devotional from two days ago talking about you know, Juneteenth, we had another group of kids over that night. Prayer, the thought was prayer is not a backup plan. Prayer is the battle plan. Pray without ceasing. <laughs> and then, so that is what I still do, even with my adult children. I send out, that's just what God has put on my heart. What does God put on your hearts to teach your adult children? Or if you're a grandmother, what does God put on your hearts to teach uh, uh, your little grandchildren? Okay, let's see the next slide. I think we're just gonna kind of briefly go over this last part. Kimberly uh, was talking to someone and she said, what is Moms for America about? And she said, well, it's to foster love and respect for our history and our founding fathers and to raise up an informed you know, citizenry. And her friend said, oh, I didn't know Moms for America is um, uh, political, I'm not, I don't do politics. And she realized, let's see the next um, slide. Look, people get confused about politics versus civic responsibility. I mean, oftentimes, you know, when we think of politics, we think of worldliness or power or fame or fortune, and we just kind of cringe um, because some of the politicians out there aren't really worthy of admiration, but civic, Uh, responsibility is something that we have to be teaching our children to respect the law and to preserve the constitution and to be involved in the community and safeguard this nation and and to watch over it this is how we raise up patriots this is how we raise up statesmen you know and and, uh, you know there's a big difference between a politician and a statesman a statesman is someone of an integrity and high moral character that wants to serve and and is a person of faith who cherishes freedom and liberty and has an affection and concern for those that they serve and for the loyalty of this country. And, And it's up to us to be an example of a statesman It will be our example that will help raise up this next generation of statesmen. Let's see that next slide. George Washington said, all that I am, I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral, intellectual and physical education i received from her let's see the next slide there's a cutest story out of this book you've heard me talk about this book before read it to your children the real george washington how when he was 14 he was going to actually go and join the royal navy of england his bags were all packed and mama just let's see the next slide she just pled with earnest solicitations that he not do this i'm sure she weeped and wailed and yelled and so forth. And sure enough, he did not join the English Navy, but it was through her inspired wisdom and pleadings that produced the greatest statesman that our nation has ever known. Truly, if we want our children to be statesmen, we have to be have an influence in their life. If we want them to know the history and the heritage and develop a love our, for our country we need to be instilling it in them because they are not going to get it anywhere else. If our children are going to be patriots, it's because we raise them up in our home to do so, to love and to revere this country. There's an urgent need right now to teach the constitution to our rising generations of how to teach them how to stand strong and to understand this constitutional foundation upon which our nation was established, let's see the next slide. I would really recommend listening to our presentation last week and going through the Healing of America seminars because we teach the constitution, the leading features, the most important aspects of the constitution and how you can teach them to your children. Let's see the next slide. We're just coming to the end of our 16-week Healing of America seminars that we've been teaching on Wednesday at 12 Eastern Standard Time. We we break it down, though, four weeks of teaching the faith stories of America, God's hand in building of America, then four weeks of the Constitution, what our founders gave, her, gave us, and what has come since, and then the attacks on the Constitution, why our country seems to become unhinged, and we identify these master planners and these enemies of uh, freedom, how they uh, you know, destroyed aspects of the constitution and how they've attacked the families and how they've attacked religion. And then we're in the last uh, week or the last four weeks, next week is the last class on what we can do to, to restore, to heal um, our families, our homes, our school systems, the constitution and this nation. Have this be, if you've not gone through the healing of America, please do so. I promise you this is so transformative as well. It will give you the bedrock foundation of American history and the Constitution and what God will put on your hearts, how you can teach these things. They come in four booklets and they'll be just your little prized treasures because that is what you will teach your children and your grandchildren from really it's a lifelong process of learning and studying to know how to shore up your rising generations to understand and respect you know the great documents and uh, to understand what our founders gave us their intentions and our inalienable rights from god and these principles your example will inspire your children and your grandchildren to ultimately be the next defender's of our uh, inspired constitution let's see the next slide barbara bush said our success as a society depends not on what happens in the white house but what happens inside your house And george washington the next slide please said the best means of forming a manly virtuous and happy people will be found in the righteous in the right education of youth without this foundation every other means in my opinion must fail Mothers, you are the hope of the future. What we're doing in our homes today will be the foundations for tomorrow. As we are firmly rooted in these principles and values that made us great, we will help truly raise up this next generation of George Washington and Martha Washington's. And remember, let's see that next slide. It has been said that 10 small discussion groups in a community will do more to create a new way of life than a hundred mass meetings with a thousand people in attendance at each. Oftentimes at these kind of big, you know, events with hundreds and thousands, there's just a lot of rhetoric. But when mothers come together in communities and neighborhoods, they begin to get results and results is what um, begins to create a new way of life. You counter rhetoric with results, and that's what you get when mothers come together and learn these principles, because God then puts it on your heart to be a part of, about doing something. Let's see the next uh, slide. You know this is our war cry. I teach this every class. As you come together and learn these things, you it's put on your heart. You're reminded that, look, we look to God for our freedoms, for our deliverance, for our solutions. We don't look to the president of the United States or Washington, D.C. or some entitlement program. We get on our knees and then we t- we take our children to God when there's a problem. And we keep our family close. We prioritize family time. I think that's why I thought, you know, the family devotional was so sacred because that was the time to shore the kids up before they would, you know, flee to the four Corners of the earth all day, each day. And then we continue to study the Constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. We we study the history and the miracles of America so that we can teach our rising generation to be on that wall and to perpetuate what our founders gave us. And as we do these three things, God will put on our hearts the changes we need to make within ourselves, within our marriage, within our homes, within our neighborhoods, our school systems, how we can be a part of, you know, restoring the Constitution and teaching the Constitution and and healing uh, of America. Remember that God has promised us the next slide that if we will do these things, humble ourselves and seek his face and pray and turn from our wicked ways, he will hear from the heavens our prayers and he will forgive us and he will heal our land. We've got the God of the universe backing us. We got to get the best player on the team off the bench and back in the game. We have every reason to be optimistic and anchored in hope. Look, we have read the book. We know how it ends. We know that God prevails, but we've got to do our part to justify the heavens to intervene. We need to get on that wall. We need to be teaching our children and our grandchildren. I hope I've given you some ideas. Your heart has been pricked tonight about what you might do to be a part of, of you know, justifying the heavens to intervene and to heal, to heal you and to heal the people that you love and ultimately to heal our nations. May God bless you. It's been such a privilege to be with you the last